Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are watching CNN. I'm Zane Asher coming to you live from New York, you begin with a symbolic victory for Ukrainian troops near Kharkiv. A Ukrainian unit says it has reached the Russian border and put down a blue and yellow stake with the message, Mr. President, we made it. As Russian forces are repelled near Kharkiv, Moscow is ramping up attacks in other areas. A new missile strike has been reported by Ukraine near the city of Odessa, destroying buildings and starting a fire as well. Meantime, more Russian troops are pouring into Ukraine's Luhansk region. They're focusing artillery and troops in the area around the Severodonetsk. And again, they're accused of locating civilian targets. A Ukrainian official said Russians shelled a hospital on Sunday as well. Meantime, Sweden is pushing forward for NATO membership. The prime minister says her party is backing a bid to join the alliance because Europe's security situation has, in her words, fundamentally changed. Magdalene Anderson is about to give a press conference. When that happens, we will, of course, bring it to you live. CNN correspondent Suzanne Malveaux is joining us live now from Lviv in Ukraine. Suzanne, what is the latest? Well, Zane, that's right. Uh, actually, Ukraine's uh, border service is reporting now that the Russian troops, they have attacked. They've been firing across the border into an area, the Sumy region. Uh, they have been using mortars and grenade launchers. Uh, those uh, Ukrainian uh, border troops were able to push them back to force the Russians to retreat. But analysts say that this is really part of a bigger strategy, a bigger picture here to engage in some of those Ukrainian units that would otherwise be deployed to the Donbass. It almost looks like fireworks, but these explosions aren't for show. They are incendiary munitions. It's yet another day of crushing Russian firepower aimed at the besieged city of Mariupol. Over the weekend, a large convoy of cars and vans carrying fleeing residents managed to leave the city. An aide to Mariupol's mayor says, up to 1,000 vehicles arrived in Zaporizhia, which would be the largest single evacuation for Mariupol since the fighting began. One man says it was a harrowing journey. We barely made it. There were lots of elderly people among us. It was tough. People went through hard things before. They were nervous. The trip was devastating, but it was worth it. Meanwhile, further east, Russian troops are zeroing in on the town. All right, I have to interrupt uh, that because uh, the leaders of uh, Sweden, the Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, are speaking now. Let's listen in. With Russians. A common conflict to strengthen the safety 
in Northern Europe. Och när Finland nu också meddelat att de anser att ansöka om NATO-delen gav så skulle ju Sverige ensamt vara utanför NATO hamna would, i en mycket, mycket utsatt position. Så det bästa för Sveriges säkerhet och svenska folkets säkerhet är därför att vi går med i NATO och att vi gör make sure det tillsammans. Jag känner mig trygg med att stöd för Samtidigt så vet jag också att det finns många svenskar som fortfarande tvekar och som undrar vad uh, måste gå så I fort. do know there's a Det har jag And like to be, uh, man kan ha en åsikt om NATO from alliance. Utan att det And I respect that. Att man bryr sig mindre om Sverige. We can have different opinions. And respect that. We all love our country. Det finns we också svenskar som kommer fram till att läget är bra att vi ska gå med i NATO. That the situation is requiring och där us är to NATO. Historiskt och And omvälvande skift i vårt land. This is a historical change. En annan. We are living entering a new tillförsikt. När vi gör det ska vi ta med oss det bästa it, av vårt lands historia. Framförallt så well, we we need to bring the best of our country's history. arbetar tillsammans. And that is efter debatten i riksdagen så har vi haft ett extra regeringssammanträde och där har vi fattat två beslut. För det första har regeringen beslutat att meddelande att Sverige the vill ha som medlemsalliansen och Sveriges NATO till NATO. And we will move forward. Sverige och NATO är långt gemensamma vi har redan en lång historia av kollaboration och test. Together. And when that is done, Sweden will confirm they will with writing. And not NATO will send a protocol. And then uh, start. Then the process will start with the 30 members before the decision is made. And how long that time will take is hard to tell. And the government that decided today is to present a proposition. Sverige kommer befinna sig i ett läge under tiden som will be in a tough situation while the before the full decision is made. And we cannot uh, not count that Russia will do disinformation in Sweden. And we have had a long conversation within a party and Sweden has already got the support from important NATO countries like US, Germany, UK, Spain and we will do this process together with our neighboring country Finland. Sweden will also have their own preparedness som eh, kan komma att ske. Like, Regeringen och berörda myndigheter följer noga och beredskapsarbetet som vidtagits. Men här kan vi också alla i Sverige hjälpas åt. 
We all can help together. This is a clear instruction for Swedish people. A search for information from reliable sources. Every person that are sending this, in this information but do also make sure to share information that is reliable. Also make sure to support each other, especially businesses for child and kid children. But also, but also hold held your head cool for all situations. Me and Ulf Christian are standing here together. We don't agree on everything, but we have something in common. And is that we do want to live in this new democratic there is a lot in sweden to worth to live for and now i leave the word to Ulf. thank you magdalena now we are standing here together for two important reasons one is the broad political meaning the joining nato means that's important and also for the decision historical and a vision forward is to work in solidarity but also get help from other NATO members. The other reason is because it's very special time, a special time in the world and especially for Ukraine. It's the first invasion in the world since World War II. Also special for Sweden is happening right before election and when the new parliament has been installed. We will do what Ukraine is not, is not allowed to do. We will both go to election to win the support of the people. At the same time, in, together we will work with the process to bring Sweden into the NATO. We have had different perspectives the past so far, but this is not about that. This is about together having taken the responsibility. The historical decision today is, is only the start. Is, there is still a long way to go. First, the process it could be reached by end of the year, but it's common goal that Sweden will be more safe, but we do live in a dangerous time. Russia won't like us joining NATO. Also, like Russia doesn't like, same as Russia doesn't like that we support Ukraine.
and the Russian spies won't like this either. You have to be political, technical, and, and we might get threatened with this information. We don't say this to create panic, but encourage to be aware. We do not have any signals for any serious threats, but there might be tests that we'll face. When all 30 NATO nations have confirmed and approved, and then the new member of NATO, we would try to use max maximum and also Sweden what we can contribute with the Nordic the Baltic Sea, but, but we also have our own ge geopolitical importance and also very high technology resources and also many years of experience of Russia. We will defend we will defend or we will defend each other best by defending together last week the Swedish security policy okay you've just been witnessing pretty much a historical change to Swedish foreign policy Sweden poised to end decades of neutrality by moving ahead to join <coughs> excuse me, NATO. Uh, Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson uh, speaking there, basically saying that the safety, the safety and the security of the Swedish people is top priority right now. This marks a dramatic about face uh, for Sweden's ruling party, the Social De Democratic Party, which for years had been hesitant to join NATO. Of course, the security situation across Europe has changed dramatically over the past three months. She was speaking alongside opposition leader Ulf Christensen. They don't agree on everything, she said, but this is one clear area where they do uh, seem to be uh, in agreement. Let's bring in Nino De Santos, joining us live now from Stockholm. Uh, so, Nina, here's the thing. Basically, the general consensus there in, in Sweden is that, listen, decades of military neutrality or, or being non-aligned, rather, has helped Sweden in the past, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help Sweden going forward. They did talk about what Russia's reaction might be to this. Walk us through that. Yeah, that's right. Um, they talked about how Russia wouldn't like it, Russian spies wouldn't like it, quote-unquote. And this has gone hand-in-hand hand with various messages over the last few weeks from both the governments of Sweden and also Finland um, as they start to talk up the possibility of joining NATO to their people. They said, you know, we're prepared for various forms of retaliation, including potentially political interference projects or cyber attacks. Um, President Putin has actually spoken just recently, actually, in response to what's going on here in Stockholm today. And he said that this is, uh, he has nothing, no issues with Sweden or Finland as countries per se, but he has reiterated yet again that 
this enlargement of NATO will provoke a response. Now, Russia's position has always been that they view uh, alignment here with these two key Nordic countries as a mistake. And they've said that they could respond militarily or perhaps even politically. But at the moment, many defense analysts say that appears to be premature. As you heard there, the timescale of joining NATO is also something that might leave some of these uh, people in these countries rather vulnerable. And that's something when you speak to people on the streets of Stockholm, you do notice people being very, very aware of. I've met some people who've said, they think it's absolutely the right course of action to join NATO for Sweden in particular. And then, of course, there are many who say, well, look, this hasn't been explained to us quite in terms of what the immediate threat is. Their point is that Sweden isn't Ukraine and Sweden isn't in the same vulnerable position. But this is a highly choreographed political dance that is happening this week. Remember, Finland, of course, announced yesterday. Now the machinery of the political state here in Sweden is getting into gear to make a joint announcement when the Finnish president heads to town tomorrow. And that is when we'll see, potentially, the signing of that formal bid. Yeah, and they did talk about the fact that this is an election year for, for Sweden, so this is all happen, happening at uh, quite a significant time. It is, in four uh, months' time. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Uh, Indra Santos, live for us there. Thank you so much. <clears throat> a major symbol of glasnost in action is planning to leave Russia. McDonald's announced it has started the process to sell its Russian business after more than 30 years of operation in the country. Anna Stewart joins us live now. So Anna, just how significant is this? I mean, McDonald's is obviously a symbol of not just globalism, but also the American lifestyle. Um, just walk us through A, how significant is this? And of course, after McDonald's leaves, can they ever come back? Yeah, so McDonald's opened in 1990 in Pushkin Square in Moscow, and the images of Russians queuing uh, for hours to get the ultimate American capitalist burger um, really won't be forgotten by the world. And I think there's a lot of symbolism here. There was when it suspended its operations, and there certainly is as now it's going to sell its whole portfolio of restaurants to a local buyer. And its statement was really quite strong. I'll read you some of it. It says the company intends to initiate the process of de-arching those restaurants, which entails no longer using the McDonald's name, the logo, the branding and the menu. And essentially they're saying here that their values simply do not align with that of Russia. And they're taking a big uh, charge here of 1.2 to 1.4 billion dollars to exit this investment. And on the same day, Zane, we had a very different statement from Renault because here McDonald's certainly seems to be exiting for good. Renault has said it's going to sell up at 68% uh, in Avdavaz, which is the big Russian car company that owns the brand Lada. However, it says it's going to essentially keep its options on the table for coming back with a... Um, six-year buyback option so it can return to the market, invest again within the next six years. Lots of windows within that. Very interesting. I mean, there's a big market for Renault, about 10% of its sales, perhaps no surprise. But the news we're getting now is we had a few weeks ago or a few months ago companies suspending their businesses. Now we're getting them exiting, selling up their stakes and taking hefty charges. Last week was Shell, Sokgen. This week so far, Renault, McDonald's. I wonder which ones will be next. Zane? Right. Uh, Anna Stewart, live for us there. Thank you so much. COVID lockdowns hitting China's economy hard. Retail sales dropped 11 percent last month from a year ago. Industrial production fell 3 percent, while the unemployment rate jumped to the second highest on record. Ivan Watson joins us live now from Hong Kong. So, Ivan, some pretty dismal economic data coming out of China. In fact, in a place like Shanghai, for example, not a single car was sold for the entire month uh, of April. Just explain to us what has happened to demand in certain parts of the country amid these really tough uh, COVID restrictions. 
Well, Zane, I think that that latest statistic that you mentioned, that not a single car sold in a city of 25 million people in the month of April during its seven, second month of strict lockdown, I think that goes to the heart of uh, what kind of a, an impact uh, the Chinese central government's zero COVID policy, above all else, is having on things like the economy. Not a single car sold, whereas in March, uh, about 118,000 cars were sold, according to the Shanghai Automobile Sales Trade Association. Uh, the national statistics showing uh, the worst contraction in industrial production since February of 2020. What was happening then? Well, that was the first lockdown in China when COVID-19 was a brand new virus, when there were no vaccines or uh, tested treatments uh, for this new virus, which was first detected in China in the first place. Uh, Also, uh, some of the worst unemployment figures since February of 2020. Uh, And the Chinese central government, its rhetoric is that it is going to stick to this zero COVID policy, which has had, again, some 25 million people in Shanghai alone unable to leave their building complexes for 60 days. People reporting rationing food, facing food and medicine shortages, unable to get uh, medical treatment for emergencies. The uh, national government says, hey, we think the economy is going to improve in coming months as the situation normalizes, as the COVID numbers continue uh, to drop, and as the government pumps money into infrastructure investment. Uh, However, beyond the economic questions, Zane, here, are the sheer trauma of things like this. People I've spoken to in Shanghai who have endured this isolation are are saying that this was truly a traumatic experience. And though the Shanghai government has announced that it plans to start uh, opening up and normalizing things by mid-June, there's a lot of distrust there because that same government promised not to do a lockdown in the first place. And if you ever want to kind of read the tea leaves about where China's going to be in in a year's time, look at the decision to cancel hosting the uh, Asian Football Confederation Asia Cup, uh, which was supposed to be held in 10 Chinese cities next summer, a little bit more than a year from now. That has now been scrapped. China will no longer host it, again, due to its zero COVID uh, uh, policies, which suggests Beijing is in for this isolation and zero COVID above all else for the long haul. Zane. Yeah, and it's important to mention, I mean, you, you talk about, uh, or we talk about rather the economy and, and the amount of money that might have been lost and these dismal economic data numbers. But it's so important, as you point out, to remember what ordinary people in some of these cities are going through and the toll on mental health that it's uh, having. Ivan Watson, live for us there. Thank you so much. <clears throat> all right, still to come here, major concerns for investors with China locking down and the war in Ukraine dragging on. We'll have details uh, ahead. Also ahead, one of the many Ukrainian business leaders who's helping in the war effort as well. We speak to the CEO using his logistical prowess to distribute aid. That's next.
All right, welcome back. U.S. stock futures right now are starting the week lower. This comes after seven straight weeks of losses for the Dow investors. Concerns continue over inflation, the Ukrainian war and China's COVID lockdowns. European stocks are also trading mostly lower right now. In Asia, stocks are mixed today. Shanghai closed down uh, a third of 1%, but the Nikkei was up about half of 1%. Joining us live now is David Balin, Chief Investment Officer for City Global Wealth. David, thank you so much for being with us. When you think about, you know, what the markets are doing today, they're basically flat, five minutes to the open. Last week on Friday, um, the markets rallied for a little bit. Just, just explain to us, have investors, or how long rather, till investors really come to terms with this new world of, of higher interest rates? That's exactly what um, is taking place. And I think what investors don't realize is that we already may have hit peak interest rates at this point. Uh, the Fed has already told us what it is going to do and now is in the process of doing it with their initial 50 basis point raise and two more planned. You've already seen interest rates move up across the curve and mortgage rates move up as well. And now, obviously, the economy is adjusting. At the same time, consumers are actually spending less because of this inflation and the fact that it's impacted their energy and food purchases. And so right now you have a slowing economy, which again, bodes well for lower interest rates in the future. And once investors realize that rates per, per potentially have peaked, certain areas of the market, I think, will become more attractive. And so when you think about just overall what the markets are doing, seven straight weeks of losses for stocks, um, you look at cryptocurrencies completely reeling. We're actually going to have a guest on that a little bit later on in the show. Um, cash is always a problem, but especially now given inflation. I mean, are commodities the only game in town right now? What are your thoughts? Well, commodities have certainly been the only asset class that really has not been correlated. But again, I think that we've just seen an unusual period of time when the Fed did a huge about face and both equities and bonds fell by the most they've ever fo fell in tandem not giving us much diversification. But we do see that diversification returning to bonds right now. I think that's something that clients can add to portfolios. And there are certain parts of the market, whether it be pharmaceuticals, you know, certain cyber stocks or cybersecurity stocks, uh, some of the energy and, 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 uh, and you know, complex in terms of uh, commodities, all of which I think are going to do better in this environment than not. What's taking place is that earnings are being recast. Markets already are looking forward and assuming that earnings after a 47% rise in 2021 are probably not going to be able to move up very much in the environment that we're in. And that's why markets are down at this point. I just want to remind all investors that, you know, this is not a month to month or you know, week to week game. This is a, you know, an opportunity to invest over the long term. And for people who have lots of cash, the next few weeks or months are going to create excellent entry points for building out further um, stocks in their portfolio. Yeah, as Warren Buffett says, you know, um, you know, in terms of his strategy, when other people get fearful, that's time. That's when it's time to get greedy. All right, David Baden, live for us there, Chief Investment Officer at City Global Wealth. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's take a look. The markets are up and running. The Dow is down pretty much flat, basically. Down ever so slightly, down about 50 points or so. We did see a rally, by the way, on Friday. But after the Dow's longest losing streak since 2001, investors are, of course, wondering when the bottom is going to be reached here. But again, the market's opening on this Monday. Flat, let's bring in Rahel Solomon joining us live now. So, Rahel, talk to us about this spat between two of the world's most powerful men, one of them, of course, being one of the world's richest men. Uh, it's Biden versus Bezos. Talk to us about that. Yeah, Zane, it's battle of the bees, right? Debating what else but the most important economic issue right now, certainly for the U.S. and perhaps the world, inflation. So let's start with a tweet on Friday from U.S. President Joe Biden saying, you want to bring down inflation? Let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. 
All right, Bezos then responding. In part, the newly created disinformation board should review this tweet, adding, raising corporate taxes is fine to discuss. Taming inflation is critical to discuss. Mushing them together is just misdirection. Also saying in a later tweet that that the administration tried hard to inject even more stimulus into an already overheated inflationary economy, saying inflation is a regressive tax that most hurts the least affluent. So this issue, Zane, of whether raising corporate taxes would in fact lower inflation, here's what we know. Lowering the trade deficit does tend to lower inflation. Raising corporate taxes, critics would say, uh, that hurts business investment and that weakens the economy. Supporters of, of the idea would say that raising corporate taxes increases government revenues, lowers the trade deficit, thus lowering inflation. It's a, it's a very controversial question. Uh, We should say, however, that this issue of lowering inflation, you know, there's not a ton that President Biden can do in the short term to significantly lower inflation. I want to read for you a quote uh, from an economist from Brookings saying that, look, at this point, there is relatively little that either the president or Congress can do to affect the rate of inflation over the next six months. Supply disruptions from COVID in China and the war in Ukraine means that Xi and Putin will have more influence on price levels than Biden, Pelosi, Schumer and McConnell. It is, of course, understandable that President Biden would want to seem uh, like he is getting in front of the issue. It is the number one issue for Americans, uh, certainly as we head into the polls for midterm elections. Uh, Last week, we got two key inflationary reports. We got the Consumer Price Index and the Producer Price Index. And Zane, it showed a slight, both reports, in fact, showed a slight easing inflation, but not much. Inflation still persistently high, hovering around 40 year highs. So this idea that President Biden would want to get in front of it is certainly not surprising. The perhaps unfortunate truth for him is that there's not a ton that he can do to try to tame inflation. That's really a job for the Federal Reserve. Yeah, and they're dealing with it with uh, raising interest rates. Uh, Rahel Solomon, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right. More uncertainty in the cryptocurrency market. Bitcoin dropping back below $30,000, adding to losses after crypto markets plummeting following the collapse of the world's third largest stablecoin, Terra USD. Uh, still, companies in the crypto space are growing. Last week, Chain Analysis, the leading blockchain data and intelligence platform, announced it's raised about $170 million in a new round of funding, doubling its value to 8.6 billion dollars. Joining us live now to discuss this is Michael Groninger. He's the CEO of uh, Chain Analysis. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. So you're in the business of blockchain analysis. Just explain to us what exactly it is and, and how your business really helps law enforcement deal with uh, crime. Yes. So, so if you think about the blockchain, it's basically a long ledger of transactions, billions and billions of transactions. In analysis, we screen one around a trillion dollars every month of transactions that way. But if you then analyze that, you actually can go through different transactions and identify various services and various entities on the blockchain. And that gives you an unprecedented transparency into the economy. And as the crypto economy merge with the existing economy, you actually get a more transparent economy than we ever had before. And that enables a lot of things amongst others for example, follow the money investigations with the law enforcement wants to track down the bad guys. Uh, they can do that using our products. And that's one of the things that we are. We are that's one of the group of customers that we are working with today. Um, when you think about what's happened in the crypto cryptocurrency market um, just recently, I mean, $300 billion worth of cryptocurrency and value just wiped out over the past two years. How is that volatility affecting your business? 
So as I mentioned, we have uh, two different customer groups. We have a very big portion of the company is, uh, is, is working with the public sector. The public sector needs our products nonetheless. So we clearly see uh, a lot of, of growth in that market and we see how the public sector continues to be smarter and smarter about that. It's not just the public sector in the US, it's also in 35 other countries in the world where we have around 150 public sector customers there. We have also around 600 uh, private sector customers and we are B2B SaaS company, so we are not tied to the crypto price in any way. So we basically just see as the adoption of cryptocurrencies grow and as more and more transactions happen, whether the market goes up or down, we actually capitalize on each transaction that's happening in the crypto network and benefit from that. Okay, so you're relatively well protected. Obviously, you've talked about uh, certain customer base, uh, certain customers being in the public sector versus the private sector, but your customer base has actually doubled recently. You also have a valuation of about $8.6 billion. Explain to us where the growth is coming from and who specifically, whether it's public or private, who specifically your customers are. Yes, so just to mention a few, uh, Bank of New York, who also became one of our investors, they represent a big, a big segment of uh, financial institutions where we have more around 100 uh, customers in the financial institution space. That's uh, 3x over the last year. Uh, further on, on the private sector customers, that would be the biggest crypto exchanges in the world. And you can basically list them and, and look at the bigger exchanges in the world. We are working with, with all of them. And again, we are helping them to do compliance. On the, on the public sector side, we have government agencies all over the world. Uh, anything from police to tax to regulators, customs and others use our products there. And even though your business is protected from the wild swings we're seeing in cryptocurrencies, just from your perspective, I would love to know what the past few weeks uh, can tell us, or we can actually learn about the dangers of investing in, you know, unregulated, very experimental digital currencies. Yeah, I think there's there's two learnings from the last couple of weeks. And of course, I've also been following the the, the, the stock tickers for, for not just for, for crypto, but also for all the tech companies. We clearly saw a, a contraction in uh, in tech in general, in tech shares. And I think most of the, the crypto change there was actually just mimicking, mimicking what happened with the shares of Amazon, the shares of a lot of other big companies out there that uh, that took a big correction a lot of value was was basically uh, erased uh, not just in crypto but all over the world so that was just a trend that we that we had to follow on top of that we saw uh, one of the, the staple coins and our algorithmic staple coins called us ust uh, that that one uh, had basically a, i would say a, not a flaw but more like a challenge where if a lot of people try to to exit its uh, some of its supporting uh, structures then suddenly that that was not stable anymore. It basically went to to zero, or for all practical purposes, zero, and investors lost lost a lot of funds there. Let's see where that goes in the next couple of weeks. We shall. All right, uh, Michael Groninger, live for us there. Thank you so much, CEO of Chain Analysis. All right, still to come, how the head of a major Ukrainian shipping terminal operator is putting his logistics experience to good use. His new mission, next. Welcome back. As eastern Ukraine continues to see intense battles, Ukrainian and business are doing what they can to get their country through the crisis. One of them is the CEO of shipping terminal operator Transinvest Service. He's using his logistics experience to coordinate safe routes for aid convoys. 
He co-founded an organization called Help Ukraine Center to gather and distribute humanitarian and medical aid. Andre Stavnitsa joins us live now from Poland. Andre, thank you so much for being with us. So just talk to us a bit more about Help Ukraine Center and how the center is working to distribute much needed aid across the country. Uh, good morning, Zain. Um, well, basically, we organized the center in Poland and in Romania. And this is where we receive different humanitarian cargoes from all over the world. And then with the help of our partners, we send it to the most hot areas in Ukraine, like Kharkiv, like Nikolaev. And then we make sure that the people there, they get their medication or their food or their personal hygiene, etc. It's very important right now, while the large humanitarian organizations are not doing a great job in Ukraine. So we basically try to help them out and substitute using private donations and shipments from all over the world to, to deliver it to the people in need. Yeah, actually, as you're, as you're speaking, we're looking at the actual center with, I mean, it looks like you've done so much work just in terms of the cargo you're receiving from all over the world. I was actually scrolling through your website and it says in bold red letters, no more clothes, please. So I'm assuming that you've had a lot of people from around the world donating their old clothes, trying to send them to Ukraine. What do you need at this point for people who are watching? Uh, actually, what we're facing right now is a, a food crisis. Um, so logistical chains are being disconnected and people in remote areas are not getting enough food. So what we're doing is we're buying MREs, meals ready to eat, and, and, and food um, products uh, boxes. And we send it over for people to, um, to make um, easy, easy prepared food. So you're looking for non-perishable items. So, for example, canned foods coming from other parts of Europe. Is that, is, is that what you need right now? Exactly. We, we buy energy bars, canned food, something that can store for a while, instant soups, etc., that, that people could, uh, could store and then eat whenever they, they feel um, it's needed. And in terms of the people who work in this center, I mean, just walk us through who the employees are. Who are I mean, how many people work in, in, in the center, first and foremost? And are a lot of them, you know, former sort of young entrepreneurs who have now dedicated their time to helping uh, find a way to see their country through this crisis? It's a great question, Zane. Um, um, as you know, Poland and Europe and actually the whole world has opened our, their hearts and their homes for Ukrainians. So uh, a lot of Ukrainians that have left to Poland to come and work for, for us at the center. And it's the only way how they can um, reduce the pain from uh, not being home and from the war that's happening in Ukraine. So we have all kinds of people working at the center. We have. Uh, uh, wives of very rich people. We have um, um, just ordinary uh, people that left the country and all of them, uh, they work for 20 hours to, uh, to help their country and they do as much as they can. But um, we have, from time to time, we have um, a different amount of volunteers. Uh, for example, today we had um, uh, 80 volunteers working at the warehouse. Sometimes it's 150. Uh, it depends on the amount of work because the, 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 the aid is not coming all the time systematically and rhythmically. So when we need more, we call for more. On a sort of slightly loose tangent, um, I understand that you actually know President Zelensky personally. You were friends with him before he even became president. Um, I just would love to know what you make of um, his handling of the past three months for your country. Well, uh, to me personally, it's the biggest source of inspiration. I mean, uh, what what he's doing is incredible, and the the amount of energy 
he's putting into it and the courage. I think all of the guys, all of our military guys uh, in Ukraine right now watching are watching him every evening when he's when he's doing an, uh, a report. Uh, and they, that's the source of their inspiration. Um, he opened up to be a very courageful and, and brave person. Yeah, it's a huge boost to morale, uh, I'm sure, for the Ukrainian military, just seeing seeing a, a hero like that um, representing their country on Absolutely. the world stage. Uh, Andre, Sevenitsa, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Cuba is facing some of its worst shortages of food and medicine in decades, coupled with rampant inflation as well. Uh, it's a perfect storm that is forcing many Cubans to try to get out right now. In March alone, 32,000 of them arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border. CNN's Patrick Upman joins us live now from Havana with more. Patrick. Yeah, every day, Zane, we see, continue to see uh, amazing images of of migrants, uh, many uh, of them Cubans, hundreds and hundreds of migrants uh, pouring across uh, the border into Texas. And while the Cuban government says they believe this country is slowly emerging from the financial crisis uh, caused by the pandemic, many Cubans say that they are unable to wait and they feel now is the time to leave. Texas, it's a dangerous journey and one happening more and more frequently as Cubans leave the island in the greatest exodus since the Mariel boat lift. Over 32,000 Cubans reached the border just in March, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. For many, the odyssey starts here, in long lines at foreign embassies to apply for a visa to depart the island by plane and then make the trip over land to the United States. Ever since Cuba's ally, Nicaragua, waived their visa requirement last November, the number of travelers has skyrocketed. Some told us the lack of food and medicines are driving people to leave. And why are so many people wanting to travel? To buy things that we don't have here. We don't have the possibilities here to, to buy many things that there we can buy all these things. The chronic scarcity has grown even more dire in recent months. The line behind me is for detergent to wash clothes, an increasingly hard to find item these days. Cubans certainly are no strangers to long lines and to shortages, but the economic freefall that this country is experiencing right now, many Cubans tell me, leaves them no other option but to try and leave. Cuban officials say the tanking economy is the fault of tougher U.S. sanctions. Because in the case of Cuba, it's not, it's not just the consequence of the pandemic, it's, it's the consequences of the reinforcement of the policy of maximum pressure, economic pressure of the U.S. Uh, towards Cuba. But many on this island blame the exodus on the government's harsh crackdown following last summer's unprecedented protests demanding food, medicine and greater liberties. While the majority of Cuban migrants reached the U.S. from Mexico, an increasing number are also attempting the journey on homemade boats across the Florida Straits. Zuleides says her husband lost his job during the pandemic and then lost hope. He was going crazy, she says. He didn't have the means to support us and our small child, and I think that's what caused him, the desperation, to throw himself into the sea. Zuleides says her husband and nephew were on an overloaded boat heading to Florida that capsized. Their bodies were never found. 
It's heartbreaking because you can't say, I will move on or I will stop. You don't know anything, she says. Despite the peril they face, this new wave of Cubans leaving their island is unlikely to subside anytime soon. Now, so Patrick, you know, food shortages, fuel shortages, a collapse in terms of tourism. Just walk us through what sort of measures and policies the government is implementing to try to alleviate the situation. Well, the Cuban government says that, that you know, it's really the U.S. Uh, that's to blame. And, and we're not seeing any flexibility on, on the part uh, of the Cuban government in terms of opening the economy, reforming the economy, which has been called on now for for years. And, and so there was a, a meeting between uh, U.S. officials and Cuban officials last month, uh, specifically on migration, the first meeting that Cuban officials have had with the Biden administration. And uh, the U.S. would like Cuba to accept deportees, deportee flights uh, once again, uh, deportation flights once again. And, and Cuba would like the U.S. to issue more visas here in Havana so people don't have to take this illegal route through uh, Central uh, uh, America and, and Mexico. But uh, no agreement uh, appears to be close at hand. These are two governments that increasingly do not see eye to eye, point fingers at each other. Uh, but while that goes on, while the, the standoff continues, uh, more and more Cubans have just decided they've had enough and it's time to go. And, and that seems to be uh, what will be uh, the near future uh, for some time to come. People just not seeing a future in their own country anymore. Yeah, a lot of people actually fear that it's only going to get worse uh, there in Cuba. Patrick Obman, live for us. Thank you so much for joining us. And that is it for the show. Thank you so much for watching. I'll be back with One World in just a few hours from now. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.